Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Talking About podcast. I am Sean Kennedy. The Sixers broke their five-game losing streak last night with a 103-89 win over the Denver Nuggets. They're now at 9-7 and seven on the season, tied for fifth place in the Eastern Conference, uh, still awaiting the return of Joel Embiid, Matisse Thybul, um, from the COVID list, uh, doesn't seem like Embiid is going to be coming back on this road trip uh, based on a report from Keith Pompey this week. We're going to talk about that a little later, but they're still on the West Coast trip, so I thought it would be good to bring in Liberty Ballers West Coast correspondent, Jackson Frank. He's out there on the West Coast. Jackson, how are you doing? Thanks for joining the podcast this morning. I'm uh, I'm doing well. I I always feel like whenever the Sixers on the West Coast, it's like now everyone's in my territory. I'm always it's always middle games are always happening in the middle of the day on, on the East Coast, but then when it's over here, it's dinner time for me and it's it's bedtime for everyone else. I feel like they're in my domain for a brief a brief time. So I enjoy all these. I enjoy every Sixers game, but I enjoy these ones a little more. I feel like I'm I'm the one that's uh, you know in in their comfort zone. So yes, uh, the the West Coast living is is much better for sports watching. <laughs> To, yeah. to, you, you get you get the late afternoon games for the early games and then the late games are at a reasonable time these uh these late night sixers late night is uh not always great for the sleep schedules for for us here on the east coast so yeah you're definitely in a, in a prime viewing spot for when the team heads west um yeah so i wanted to talk about last night's win with you uh i think i think the big story was uh charles bassey who has only recently seen regular rotation minutes in the last two games. Uh, obviously, the team is very shorthanded with Embiid out. And uh, Doc Rivers has talked about how he he likes what Bassey brings to the table defensively. He has he seems like he really has a good and in-depth knowledge of defensive rotations and where to be on that side of the ball, for, especially for a rookie and, and a guy that was a second-round rookie at that. Um, last night, he had 12 points, seven rebounds, three blocks. He was a plus 20 in just 19 minutes. And um, obviously, plus minus is not a perfect stat. but And a lot of his minutes came when Nikola Jokic was on the bench. But he did play some minutes against Jokic, and he looked to hold his own. And just really good game from Bassey. What, what did you see from him last night that impressed you, Jackson? Yeah, really what it was to me is, is that discipline, I thought. You know, I, I think a lot of rookies have a tendency to – by on every certain certain move. You look at like, T. Seibel who did this rookie year. Tigers Maxi still learning to kind of stay on his feet. And Jokic, you know, you mentioned he only didn't play a ton against Jokic, but he did well in the minutes he did play against Jokic. You know, that guy has so many different pivots and up fakes and spins and all these different things. And and I thought for the most part, you know, Bassey made it out as tough as possible on Jokic. So that was impressive. Um, he had one really really nice uh, pick and roll finish, really good footwork. Which like I when that happened, I tweeted like. He instantly has the best footwork in any role man on the Sixers, uh, which is a low bar. Yes. Thanks <laughs> to how well he had a, the, the low man came over and he just, you know, calmly like moved around him for the bucket, which is something that 
you know, Drummond struggles with Paul Reed is maybe okay at it, not great. And then Joel, we know, doesn't do a lot of rolling when he does. And that looks clunky. So um, those are the two things that stood out. It's just his disciplining and Jokic. And then just a good pick and roll big man, which is something the Sixers had a little bit with Dwight Howard last year. But Dwight said a lot of illegal screens just made it tough for pick and rolls to actually see it through. So um, those are the things that stood out. And then just super bouncy off the ground as well. You know, he mentioned the blocks, but I just thought he was really light on his feet, which is impressive. Yeah, him and uh, he and Seth Curry had had a couple of really nice pick and rolls. They had they had a nice working chemistry. It seemed like, um, yeah, the one where he he caught it, uh, you know, from the mid range and took took a couple steps in and really kind of bounded in there gracefully and then laid it in. That that was really nice to see. Uh, on on a couple where he received lobs around the basket, he just seems to have a really nice touch around the rim. You know, a lot of times big guys, you know, they're these huge powerful men and they just you think how could a seven footer that's two feet from the basket miss this, but sometimes they're just so strong with their release that it uh, bounds off the rim or something. He, he looked to have a really nice touch. Um, we haven't seen the, the outside shooting at all that we had kind of been in the scouting report as something maybe down the road, but, but right now everything he's bringing to the table looks really good. The, the defensive discipline you mentioned really advanced for, a guy that has only played a handful of NBA games and uh, was a second round rookie and yeah, just looks really solid. So the big, the big holdout over the summer was Bassey wanting to get a second year guaranteed. He got a partial guarantee based on what we've seen so far. It seems like the Sixers are going to be pretty happy that they have him around for at least another year. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it speaks to him as well for, you know, making the right call there, betting on himself a little bit and um, you know, I think some people were dubious about, you know, a late second round guy, late second pick, late second rounder, excuse me, doing that. Um, but obviously, you know, he, he knows himself best. And, you know, I don't think he's going to be in the rotation much, but it seems like at the very least he's going to play play well when he gets minutes. And, you know, he's going to go to the G League at some point and probably put up pretty awesome stats. So um, good on him. And, it, you know, you know he'll, he'll be able to probably that new long-term contract eventually. So, um, yeah, it was just very, just very impressive. I thought he was even, you know, there wasn't a ton to take away from the jazz game that blowout, but I thought even in, he had a few nice minutes there. And so it was cool to see him build upon that. Um, but yeah, I think right now, especially with how to play the Sixers are, he just makes more sense than the rotation than, than Paul Reed. I think, you know, we've seen some good stuff from Paul Reed, but he looks a little better when there's more structure because his game is so chaos induced. And it seems like when there's so few, when there's so little structure, Paul's a little, little more, erratic or not necessarily you know finding his his, his role and so um for now i think you know just having a guy who's gonna you know defend the rim play good post defense and roll hard i think is something that makes a little more sense than than paul ray with so many guys out but yeah really impressive and i'm curious to see if he continues to get run which i think he will against you know the blazers on saturday yeah we will uh talk about tomorrow night's blazers game uh towards the end of the podcast but yeah that's a good point that Bassi is more of like a stabilizing element so when you're when you're missing Embiid back there uh just to have a little bit more of a you know what you're going to get out of this guy than Paul Reed who probably has higher higher variance and and as you said more of a chaos element um yeah maybe Bassi's just a better fit at the moment so uh yeah good stuff from Charles Bassi we'll look for him to keep playing well moving forward um so he, he was probably the big story last night but the, the guy that's really been making headlines the last couple of weeks especially while the Sixers have been incredibly shorthanded during this road trip and of late uh, is Tyrese Maxey he had 22 points five rebounds four assists last night his last five games he's averaging 25 points shooting over 50 percent from three on close to five attempts per game and he has a 3.6 to point 
0.8 assist to turnover ratio. So really good stuff across the board from Tyrese Maxey. Um, Jackson, is, is what he's doing look entirely sustainable to you? Because I, I know a lot of Sixers fans are, they're falling head over heels for this guy. I think everything but the three-point shooting feels sustainable. That's not to say that he's a bad shooter. Like I've, I've bought the Tyrese Maxey being a good shooter since the, you know, the first time I watched him when he was a junior in high school, but um, you know, he's over about 43% right now. As you mentioned, in the last five games, even dating at the last eight, I think he's about 50% from three. So that's not sustainable. Like just nobody, nobody in the history of the NBA on decent volume is going to shoot that well from three. Um, but I think being a 38, 39, 40% guy on, on decent volume enough to force defenses to, to pay when they go under screen, which he's doing a great job at uh, is totally sustainable, but his, the wide range of ways he can get to his spots for a shot is so impressive, especially compared to last year. Like last year, it was like, okay, he would, he would have a really nice drive and a floater and that was about it. And then, you know, if you have games where people would just sit on those moves and he wouldn't know what to do. And now it's like, he's got these little pull-up leaners. He's got the one or two dribble pull-up when he turned off the arc team duck under screen. He's letting it fly from three off the dribble. So, um, you know, obviously he has all these different, you know, ways he can get off the runner, the floater, the scoop layup, um, so that's what's most impressive. Like, you know, these last these last few games, you know, I would say the last three, Indiana, Utah, and Denver, have just kind of felt like good games, but not they're not the 30-point bombs that we saw in the two previous outings. So um, he just the way I've described it is he just kind of floats into these points right now. You know what? He had 11 or 13 in the first quarter to really keep the Sixers in it. And then had a couple of buckets when the game was at, was largely out of reach late, but like you know, just floats into those 15, 17, 19-point games as of late. And so that, that, I think it's very much sustainable. And then, you know, defensively, I thought he was really good last night. Um, he was active. He fought over some screens, I think had what two steals in the block. Um, and that's what, that's what you need. And when, when Tyrese is active and attentive on that end, um, I think he's really good. I think against the Pacers, he struggled to communicate in switches and getting over screens, which is kind of floating in, in a, in a pejorative way, uh, maybe not pejorative, in a critical way. Um, and, and, but on, against Denver, I just thought it was really impressive there. So, um, the efficiency is a little unsustainable. I think I, I was looking at his last eight games, getting back to when he had, I think, 20 against Detroit. Um, he's at about 21 on 65% true shooting, about 50% from three. So that's not sustainable. But I think a guy who averages 18, 19 on 61, 62, which is about what he's at for the year, is is totally sustainable. So um, really, really impressive. I just I just like how effortlessly these these outings are coming from him. Yeah, it's, it's not like last year when they played shorthanded against Denver and he was literally like the only option. So he was just chucking up a bunch of shots and that's how he got his 39. Uh, these, these high scoring outings now, uh, as you said, he's just kind of, you know, floating his way into them. Um, he's stepping up when there's a bit of a lull and taking charge like he did in the first quarter last night, but he's just been really efficient with his, with his scoring and picking his spots and not forcing anything. And the fact that he's able to, score as you, as you pointed out in so many different ways just his first step is elite and he can seemingly get by most defenders off the dribble when he wants to and he has that floater and the mid-range little scoop shots and everything else that he can go to if he needs to and the, i think the the three-point shooting is the final like layer of his his offensive evolution and we, we saw a lot of that in summer league and that's carried over just the ability to sink those those pull-up threes um off the dribble to to come if a defender is uh you know going under the screen as you mentioned and and go over the top and and just shoot over that that 
that pick and roll that that's really effective and, and beneficial in a lot of ways um, to open up a lot of other things for his game. So yeah, just a lot of stuff to like about what Tyrese Maxey has doing. Um, do you, do you think if you were a Sixers decision maker that his play has changed the calculus at all about what the team would potentially look for in a Ben Simmons trade? Like maybe they can target more of a, more of a wing now than, than maybe a lead ball handler, just because Maxi has performed so well up to this point, or uh, do, do you still think you obviously you take whatever you can get, but do, do you think maybe it's shifted at all? They're, they're thinking just based on how he's performed. I think it has to, right? I think, you know, Maxi was encouraging for a rookie, but it was a lot of with the qualifier of a young player. Now it's like, he's just encouraging. Like he's just, a, he's just having a very, very good year. He's, he's made the leap from like, a guy who is a worthwhile rotation player because of what he brings to this point, he's, he's giving you start like starting caliber impact, which is really, really impressive. And that's, that maybe that's like, I always try to contextualize like starter caliber impact means you're in the top third of the NBA. It means you're at least a top 150 player. So in year two and the early parts of that, it's really encouraging for, for like Maxi. So definitely has to change to an extent. I still think you want someone who has a better, a better grasp of kind of the, the passing part of it. And that's the next, that's the next step for Maxi is just figuring out the path, especially, you know, beyond he's got that nice, like right to left skip path that we, we saw even dating back to his rookie year, but anything beyond that is still kind of outside of his, his wheelhouse of consistent passing reads. So anyone who can bring that um, I think is, is what you be, you want to be targeting in addition to the scoring. I think you need one more score. Um, but I think, you know, with, with a guy like Joel who can play over the floor with, you know, Tobias for all his faults can generally kind of, score from a lot of different areas on the floor. Maxi, you know, we've seen a lot of on-ball stuff, but I've also liked the off-ball stuff. You know, he did a lot of that in the Toronto game, working off the catch. So you've got guys who can kind of score all over. So if you can find one more player to do that, who maybe has a little, who's maybe the best passer of the bunch, um, that's what you should do. But I think the wing makes the most sense, especially with, you know, I think Danny Green's been good this year, but you just haven't been able to keep him healthy, unfortunately. He hasn't been able to stay healthy with that, that nagging yeah. injury. So um, insur- insurance there would help maybe like take the load off Danny, let him be a, a guy who comes off the bench and you pair a lot of minutes with, you know, a Maxi or a Joel rather than a guy who starts and you rely on him so much. Um, so I think the wing would make sense there, but also that those, those guys are tough to find the guys in the wing who are six, 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 seven, six, eight, who can give you maybe 18 to 22 games, which I think the Sixers need. So, uh, but the short answer. Yeah. I think it definitely changes things. And, you know, I think it's funny last year, what Maxi was in the, was a, you know in particular talk in talks with for James Harden trade or Kyle Lowry trade. Obviously, it made sense to, to deal him in a James Harden's uh, trade. Um, makes a lot less sense now to have done the the Kyle Lowry thing. I'm not saying that they they made their decision there, but um, you know the, the gap in terms of impact between the two of them this year is is a lot smaller. And you know I would still take Lowry, but I think it's you know it's almost negligible. I would have to watch more of the Heat, but um, you know I don't think there's been some wide gap there. So it definitely changes things and maybe it makes the Sixers even more, you know, even bigger players in the, I think it's, I don't know, I guess I'm kind of going on a tangent, but I would be curious in your eyes, Sean, how do you, how do you view the Maxi thing? Because at first it was like, he's this great guy you can move in a trade. And now it's like, is he too good to move in a trade? Like, yeah, he's not, like, <laughs> not just a young player. Is he a young player who's a good start already? So um, how do you view that? I, I think it's not that it hurts the Sixers, but it maybe even complicates things a little bit when or if the next star does become available. Right. Yeah. It's, it's definitely an interesting conversation. Um, you brought up the Lowry thing. So it, it, it definitely takes a lot of the edge off of, of that deal, not getting done last year for sure. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if making a comparison between Maxi and Lowry this year makes, 
a lot of sense because Larry was a free agent, right? So he could have just signed with Miami regardless. Um, but the fact that, yeah, if they had done the Lowry trade last year, does that put them over the hump and suddenly they're able to beat Atlanta and, you know, who knows what can happen at that point. And they, they push all in and flags fly forever and all that. And you don't worry about losing Tyrese Maxey because you had a, you had a championship or something like that. That's definitely a hypothetical that that's out there, but the fact that Maxey is playing so well and, and looks like this building block for the next decade, um, that, that makes it a lot more palatable that that Lowry trade did not happen last year. Um, yeah. Regarding him in a trade moving forward, I think any anything that isn't like a Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal type, like Tyrese Maxey's absolutely off the table right now. Last mm-hmm. last year, you could have maybe swung it for like a secondary star. And if, if Maxey had to be included in the deal, I think Sixers fans might have been okay with it. But right now, given his, his pro- progression in his game and the potential ceiling we're seeing from him now where you know tony parker comps are being thrown around this week which you know who knows but just the fact that that that's even being mentioned not in sixer circles but in in national media nba circles like that that sort of thing's even out there like you don't want to just give up on that just to be like potentially incrementally better this year so it would it would have to be a real difference maker you're talking like a top 15 guy you're getting back in a deal where if you're trading Simmons and Maxi away. And I don't think that was the case um, six months ago. So, you know, all the credit in the world to, to Tyrese and the work he's put in to, to really get a lot better in second year and um, the, you know, the developmental staff on the coaching staff and everything. It's like, yeah, he's, he's gotta be in like a most improved conversation as well. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think you know those guys always get discounted because it's expected. Which yeah. I've never, I've never used that as criteria. Like I think you know, like the one I was come back to is Darren Fox made that huge jump from year one to year two a few seasons ago, and people were like, oh, it's expected and all that. So I don't want to get into that, but like I think he'll be hurt because of that. But yeah, yeah he's definitely one of the more improved players. But yeah, just the Lowry thing. I think it was I guess I should have framed it less about like oh, it's like it's good they didn't make the move and just it's a little it's funny you know it's just funny thinking about it now you know the fact that they. They could have traded Lowry and then he might have walked and then they would have had nothing. And then Maxi's in Toronto, which is obviously a very good development system. And he's probably doing similar things. And then the Sixers are, are in a tough spot. But yeah, I think, you know, mentioned Dame and, and, and Veal. I think those guys are in such different spots in terms of like contract and maybe peak caliber of player that like one, I think like one, I think necessitates, you know, a Dame deal necessitates including Maxi. A Beal deal at this point, you could be a free agent who's a lesser caliber of player um, you know, I think if you're going to include Max, you got to get something else back from Washington, right? So yeah, I guess the way the way to frame it, it's not as a negative as I kind of did earlier. Would be that like now it just means if you're including Max in certain deals, it doesn't mean just mean you're getting a star back from it. it. Means maybe you're getting a star in a protected pick or a star in a low level rotation player, something like that. So um, it's a good thing, I, you know. Now that I've thought through it a little more, not that I thought it was a bad thing, but I think it just makes things a little means they'll get more back if they if they swing a trade including Simmons and Maxi, but. Fun, fun hypotheticals. It's, it's, it means that Maxi is doing things well and the Sixers are in a good spot if they have to choose between, you know, a, a legit, legit primary creator and a, and Maxi who's looking the part of at the very least a very good secondary creator. And uh, fortunately, Sixers have a really good relationship with Maxi's agent. So I'm sure any <laughs> negotiations would move swimmingly. Um, yeah. So you just mentioned Lillard and Beal. We're, we're going to talk about them and more guys. Uh, based on the Sam Amick report. Um, But first, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. 
All right, and we're back. Um, so as I mentioned, a couple key reports dropped this week. Um, the Athletics' Sam Amick had a report uh, basically laying out that the Sixers had a list of 30 names that they would trade Ben Simmons for and a lot of other good info in the related to the, the Ben Simmons saga. Um, and then also Keith Pompey had a report where in addition to James Harden, being a, a key name, which was one of the guys mentioned in the Amic report, he also listed Jeremy Grant. Um, first, with the Amic report, um, what what did you take away that from that report, Jackson, that you found interesting? Yeah, um, I think the list of thirty names was interesting. Um, one, from like an actual analysis standpoint, it's interesting. But two, it's fun to talk with friends and analysts and fellow coworkers or whatever. I guess that's redundant. Fellow workers, whatever you want to call, say, uh, speculate on who those thirty names are outside of the obvious top three of, you know, Beal, uh, Harden and, and Dane. Yeah. Um, we should, we should mention those, those three were specifically mentioned as being on the list in the report, um, as part of the 30. So yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, and you're, and I think the other thing that I don't know if, I don't know if Amex specifically reported if he, if he referenced Shamsron reporting, but I think it talked about the idea that, that Ben Simmons might not be may, ready, might not be ready to play for any team. Um, which to me, I think is really interesting because whether, whether you like, believe the mental health stuff. I certainly do because I just don't think it's you know something to speculate on that decision because I think a lot of it for me was, I just don't think he wanted to play in Philadelphia. It wasn't coming to play in front of the fans. Want didn't want to play for the Sixers in general, but this part is interesting. Like, I don't know, you know, I, like I, I, now, now I'm very curious about like what's, and because you always have to look at these things about like, how, how does this benefit Simmons and representatives to facilitate their goal? And that's not to say that like, that's not to say the mental health thing is part of that. But I'm curious because that would seemingly, you know, turn more teams away from it, right? And which is yeah. which is unfortunate, but that's the, that's the reality, right? Because I think a lot of these things that that Ben and his agency have done have, have seemingly been interpreted as okay, it's just a move to, to to further force the Sixers' hand so he can leave quicker. But this one doesn't doesn't help that. So I so I don't know if that's them just being totally honest about where Ben's at mentally or, or what the what the deal is there. But that really caught my eye because. Um, you know, if part of Ben's issues are feeling uncomfortable in his current work environment, Philadelphia saying he might not be comfortable playing anywhere, um, you know, commendable to be transparent about it, but, you know, also doesn't necessarily help you. That's not to be critical or anything. It just, it just kind of caught me by surprise because I, I thought a lot of his, his mental health struggles have been tied to situation currently, but if it's a general NBA thing, then, you know, or just a general sports thing, he doesn't really feel comfortable you know, playing right now, then, then, you know, uh, just that's the thing that caught my eye. 30 names, you know, I feel like we all could have, you know, guessed that. But yeah, the second part really kind of came by surprise. It really was what stood out to me from from that report. And again, I can't remember if Amrick reported himself or if it was something from Shams. I don't want to misattribute you know, that there. Yeah, um, I believe it was kind of like uh, his own reporting. He didn't say as as reported by Shams Charania. It seemed like he had spoken with other executives and kind of backing up what had previously been reported uh, that listen, executives are a little weary that Ben might not be in the right mental uh, headspace to play basketball. And as you, you know, spoke about, it's not just a, a thing about playing in Philadelphia and yeah, that has to be a concern. And if, other executives are looking to trade for this guy that lowers their value. And as you said, that 
if if the ultimate goal of the Ben Simmons clutch camp is to get him traded from Philadelphia, why would they go out of their way to to put something out there about lowering that would eventually lower his value and make it seemingly less likely that he would be traded. So yeah, that was definitely interesting. So that was kind of the the second data point we've received about executives actually wanting to see Ben return to the court because you know, they, they need to see that he is mentally ready to return to the game of basketball before they would just take on this guy that that might not be able to uh, play given his current headspace. Um, so, yeah, I know a lot of people earlier, you know, throughout the offseason and towards the beginning of the season were like, oh, it doesn't really benefit you to have been on the court in a Sixers uniform. I think this is a, another argument for, yeah, it kind of does because executives just need to see him playing NBA basketball maybe. Um so it's it's just a it's a really tricky situation. Um, I'm glad that uh, I only have to speak about it on a podcast, and I don't actually have to make the ultimate decision about about what to do in this situation. There's just so many conflicting factors, and I, I don't I don't know how it's going to end up, but uh, I, I know it's it's not going to happen anytime soon. It's going to be at least a couple months before we really see something happen. It seems like. Yeah. And I would just point out, you know, you mentioned that like, this is what rival executives are telling Amic, you know, I, I would imagine that like, if there was not any credence to that, you know, Shams and Amic would be in dialogue because Shams got that, basically that, that one-on-one report from, from clutch. Right. So that those are two of the most high profile report NBA reports at the athletic. If there wasn't credence to that, you know, I'm sure Shams and Amic are talking about that and he's getting, you know, the, the clutch side of it and Ben's side of things. So um, that's, that's a really interesting development to me. So um, you know, obviously, you know, I hope, you know, whatever is dealing, whatever is alien band he's able to work through. But um, yeah, I think that getting back to the core of the industry, it's, it's a short-term versus a long-term gain, right? Like there's been so many reports that if or when Ben ever decides to suit up here for the Sixers, he won't be mentally engaged. I think that came from one of the initial reports from Sean's back in like September when the team tried to go to fly out to him um, in LA. And so like, yeah, maybe, maybe you get three games of Ben Simmons, like I guess I just don't know. I just don't know how it's gonna. It's so it's so murky, right? Like yeah. Ben goes out there and is you know seventy percent of himself, which is still a good player, but not the all star caliber guy that he's been, you know, for most of his career. It doesn't really it doesn't really help him, or the, I guess it doesn't really entice teams. It doesn't help him. It doesn't help the Sixers. You know, show that this guy is still really good. So, um, but if Ben comes back and he he has a he has five games averaging you know 18, 10, and ten. And, and still pretty good then, then yeah but he always has to get to his place where he feels comfortable and, and able to do that again so um really murky all around i'm not sure the sixers for him for his agency and all that and yeah as you said i don't think it's going to be a, a quick fix obviously it isn't we're on we're entering you know we're approaching month six of this yeah <laughs> uh, but but yeah i think you know a lot of people thought maybe it would happen fairly quickly once the basketball resumed and that's just not going to be the case uh no it's not um yeah, but maybe maybe him even coming back and playing a few games at 70%, maybe that'd be enough just to see that he can play NBA basketball and then his representation could spin it that, well, if he was somewhere he actually wanted to be, you'd see the the old version of Ben. Like, he's ready to play basketball again. He just wants to do it somewhere else. So maybe, maybe even that would be helpful. Like, who could say? Yeah. Uh, so uh, regarding the names, I, I kind of said in the – LB Slack that I feel like it's probably 20 or so names of just like, oh yeah, let's put, we would trade him for Trey Young or Luka Doncic and whatever, whatever guys that are on there, the opposing executive would just laugh and hang up the phone. There's probably a handful of guys like Dame, like Bradley Beal, like James Harden that were mentioned that are 
kind of like pipe dreams. Um, and then there's probably a, a few names that are somewhat realistic and, and that probably comprises the 30, but it, it is, as, as you said, it's just a fun, fun kind of thought exercise that I know a lot of Sixers fans are banding about right now. Like who would be the 30? Um, uh, I, I want to move on to the, the Keith Pompey report and, uh, Liberty ballers has heard that the Sixers haven't spoken to the Pistons recently and they kind of view him Jeremy Grant as as a four which obviously Tobias plays so I I think they view him as too much overlapping with what Tobias does so there's no real interest there um if if you were a decision maker would you kind of agree with that assessment or do you where where would you stand with making a move for for Jeremy Grant yeah absolutely I agree with that I think there's a a ton of overlap in, in their games offensively um they like to work in the mid range they can both space out to three but that's not their their preference. Um, they're deliberate and methodical in their ways as, as scorers. Um, I think Grant's shown a little bit, you know, more scalability in the sense that, you know, you've seen him play a smaller role in Denver and Oklahoma city. Um, and you saw that at times with Tobias, but it, it, given how much Tobias has developed and you know, how much his skill set is needed on this team, it's just not what he's going to do. So um, yeah, a lot of overlap. I think the last couple of few years of, of Jeremy Grant's defense has not been as good. I thought his last in Oklahoma city, he was really useful as kind of that, that range you four who could make weeks have rotations inside and, and kind of as we, as we saw flashes of when he was a sixer, but, you know, as he's developed his offensive game, he's the, the defense is kind of taking a step back, which is what happened to us. Just the, the nature. Yeah. Of, um, it's, it's tough to play 33 minutes a night and be, be a linchpin on both ends. That's why it's really impressive of what Joel does. Even, you know, even what Ben Simmons has done at times, what Kawhi has done. Yeah. Uh, the, the Kawhi's and the Paul George's of the world are, are what they are because they're able to consistently, provide that type of value on both ends yeah and even those two guys you know have had seasons where they're a little more offensively inclined but yeah i don't i don't love that like i think jeremy grant has turned himself into quite a good player and a very impressive scorer especially out of isolation and face-ups but like i don't you don't really want to play either him or tobias to the three and so then only one of them is gonna you know you don't want to put them on the court very often especially just because of how much they control that you give possession when they run things run through them so then you're playing what jeremy 15 minutes night and then when tobias misses games like it's just if that's the headliner in a Ben Simmons package, it just doesn't make sense. There's just too many diminishing returns, and you know, for all the you know for all the faults of um, you know Ben Simmons, you you want to get more than that, right? You want to get more than a backup for and and fill in for for when Tobias misses games. So um, just doesn't make sense to me. I think you know the, the Pistons have a couple other interesting guys, Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart. Sadiq's been off to a slow start, but he's kind of similar that he's deliberate in his ways. Um, so. You know, unless you're getting a guy who really, really kind of shifts the offensive hierarchy that puts Joel as a 1A or 1B and moves everyone else down, it doesn't make sense to have guys who are deliberate with the ball in their hands because they have enough of that. They have Tobias, they have Joel, um, you know, who things are largely run through in crunch time. So um, just just don't see it. It just doesn't make sense given how the Sixers roster is constructed and kind of the talent of where Jeremy Grant at, is at as a talent. Just not a disservice to him, just kind of speaks to the reality and his limitations. Yeah, that's all fair, I guess. I, and I agree with all the points you're making. Uh, just in, in my mind, though, it's like if if February rolls around and a Simmons deal hasn't been made, if Jeremy Grant's the best player you can get and say you can get Jeremy Grant, like Kelly Olenek and uh, some sort of pits, picks package, um, is having Grant and Olenek, who's a you know kind of stretch big that the Sixers have kind of been looking for for a few years um 
and, and obviously Isn't they that have the ironic if, if Ben was in a, a trade for a stretch big that they've needed for so many years. <laughs> the perfect complimentary piece for Ben Simmons <laughs> is is who he's traded for, right? Yeah, that would it, there would be a fair amount of irony there for sure. But um, I I feel like you kind of maybe owe it to Joel, just say like, Hey, this is the best we could do. Let's go forward with this. Like having these guys is better than having uh, a Ben Simmons cap space, like sitting at home playing call of duty. And then moving forward, you, you still have Jeremy Grant with one year left on his deal. Like, is that that much worse of a trade piece than Ben Simmons who, who knows at that point, like what teams would want for a guy that hasn't played basketball in a year and, might not still be mentally ready to play. And like, I don't know. It it seems like holding out for a 5% chance of a James Harden sign-in trade in the off season, rather than making a move, it it might like be the better course of action. Um, I I don't know. I I just don't, I don't think that you can purely look at it from a, like a roster building standpoint with how, how Grant Tobias would fit. Like maybe you just put these talented guys on the floor and hope that, it fits a little better than it would in a, in a vacuum for the three months you need it to. And then you can figure it out later. Like you can move Grant who most teams in the league would want with a year left on his deal. Maybe you move Tobias, like, which is something people, you know, bring up in kind of passing ever since he signed that big contract. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I feel it, it just should be explored a little bit more than, than, than maybe the people that are kind of dismissing it just because Grant and Tobias aren't a perfect fit. Yeah, I think that's definitely reasonable. Um, I, th- I think I would say that like Ben would still have significantly more value on on his contract, even with everything that would hypothetically be still you know surrounding him at this point. Three years, better player, um, you know all that. But uh, yeah, I, t- I definitely get that. I think w- what I would hope and what I think is probably the case is like there's some sort of open dialogue between management and Joel on these things. Um, not that Joel has like a ton of like decision making power, but in the sense that like you know. Joel wants to win. Of course, he's, he talks about that every chance he gets and that's proven just given how he, he's gotten better every single season. Um, but you, you just like, you, you want, like if Joel gives a stamp of approval, then yeah, you probably got to go for it. Right. But if he's like, if he sees things similar to maybe how we do, which is definitely not the case because we all of us come from such different backgrounds and professional basketball player. Um, but if he sees them similar and just sees two fours who, you know, like to face up a lot and Tobias and Jeremy, and just doesn't quite think it gets them there, then you probably, probably have to, Pull the reins, and that's not to say that Joel gets to thumbs up or down every move. Um, but I'd also be curious, like, could you could you turn into a three-team deal, right? Is there a team that maybe is more interested in Jeremy Grant and has a wing or a guard that you know can give you some shot creation? Maybe they're they have surplus, you know, they have surplus shot creation, which is a team that not really many have. Um, but you know, I think there's some 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 reports of convoluted and, and, and whatnot three-team trades, but I think that's maybe the example of if Detroit Lee wants Ben Simmons. Another team wants Jeremy Grant, and this third team, you know, has a wing or a guard that could give you some scoring punch and some playmaking punch um, for the Sixers. Then, yeah, you go through with it. But um, I think your point is reasonable. But I think you've probably got to get a little higher caliber of talent to to kind of disregard diminishing returns, given that you know Ben, again, for all of his issues, is still a guy that's going to return a pretty significant, you know, talent back. So, um, but yeah, your point is reasonable that you can't be trying to maximize the deal, which is, I think which is kind of what it seems like Darren Warren company are doing, which I get, but it reached the point, as you said, you owe it to these players 
to, you know, because I think they're still, I think this is a really good team when Joel and everyone else is back. Uh, assuming that Joel is, you know, okay past, you know, once he gets past COVID. And so it's going to get to a point where if they're second, third in the East, you know, where they are, which I think they can be, um, that you just owe it to them and give them a shot. So I definitely agree that there's a, there's a, there's a threshold there, but I don't quite think Jeremy Grant reached that point of inflection, but I see your point for sure. Yeah. The pressure is going to continue to build. So I, I guess we'll just kind of reevaluate in February where things are at and kind of reassess. Um, all right. So tomorrow night, the nine and seven Sixers take on the eight and eight Portland trailblazers. Um, you know, the reason I wanted to have you on Jackson is I know, are, would you consider yourself a, a trailblazers fan? How would you categorize your connection with the Portland franchise? I would say I used to be a pretty big fan, um, but you know, obviously I live in Portland now, but um, their lackadaisical offseason after they you know, made the Western Conference Finals in 2019 really just turned me away. And then in conjunction with, you know, everything that life comes with, it just wasn't watching games as much. So definitely have a lot of stories about my time as a Blazers fan. And that's, I feel like everyone who's in NBA media says I'm not a fan, but I really just, I, I, I just, everything they did after that, making the Western Conference Finals and being so far away from actually title contention, just, just turned me away. It didn't really seem like they, you know, were, the, the goal was actually to win a tower. At least they didn't understand how to get further, closer to one. So a lot of history as a Blazers fan, but now I just, I, I still like to aim to like Norwich, those guys, but not, I wouldn't say they, you know, they'll win games, they lose games. It doesn't really affect me anymore, I would say. Okay, fair enough. So this is the second meeting between the two teams. The Sixers won the previous one, 113-103. They were also without Embiid for that game. Um, but obviously Portland is a team that a lot of Sixers fans have had their eye on given the Dame connection. And at eight and eight, it doesn't seem like they're quite at the panic mode that Sixers fans might've hoped for going into the season. It seems like they they've been able to steady the ship. Um, first thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, the president and CEO, Chris McGowan resigning. Um, what do you think that portends? Do you think that the, this is just the, signal flare for Neil O'Shea eventually being ousted? Uh, I So I think Jason Quick of the Athletic had some details on that last week. That was, a, that was a week ago today, right, Friday? Yep. Um, the news broke. I think from what I remember reading, and maybe it was Jason Quick or someone else who plugged into the team, um, Jason is usually kind of the, the lead man there, um, leading person, excuse me. I think it was that McGowan wanted to be taking a more of a public-facing role in terms of controlling you know, or influencing optics of the team. He thought Olshay wasn't doing a great job of that. And he was rebuked by, by management ownership. So um, I think there's definitely a connection to the Olshay stuff. I don't know exactly. You I mean the skeptic and you could say that like, maybe he has some sort of involvement or negligence involved in the Olshay allegations or, you know, reports. And so he's, he's going to have that. I don't want to like posit that concretely, but um, just from the quick thing, I think that I read, it seemed like he, wasn't getting he wasn't getting the support from management ownership that he kind of wanted to take on a bigger public facing role and so that dissuaded him and i think it was that he he stepped down from every all of his positions at, at vulcan not just the blazers um, vulcan's kind of the over the overseer that involved the overseeing business that ends, that involves the blazers i don't know exactly there's too much too much corporate mumbo jumbo in there <laughs> no, exactly um but i think it's connected in some way but i don't know how connected it is and again i don't want to posit the whole like you know, I, I don't want to get into the, you know, maybe I already did, but you know, I don't, I, that's not me reporting it, but you know, you know, involving those sort of things, I always had a little bit of skepticism, but by no means is that, you know, me reporting it, but 
Um, definitely some connection. I don't know to what degree, but if people have a subscription to Athletic, just a quick had a good article on that that maybe explained largely what went into that decision and kind of the process behind McGowan stepping down. Okay. Um, so probably not too much of a portend for Olshay being ousted. Uh, he might yeah. still, but it, it's not the first domino by any means. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so the other, the other big thing is, uh, you know, Damian Lillard, he had a terrible shooting slump to begin the season. He, he's performed much better of late. I know he's also been dealing with an abdominal thing. Um, based on what you know, where, where is that? Where is he health wise? And do you think the the slump is officially over and is he back to being more uh, the Dame time that fans have come to know? Yeah. So I think that was something that was reported back during the Olympics. I think, you know, I didn't watch the Olympics, but it seemed like he struggled making his shots and struggling defensively, which, you know, no offense to Dame struggling defensively. is not really a new development, you know, involving any injury over the last few years, especially, but um, I think it was what Ab, abdominal therapy, abdominal, some, some word revolving around the abdominal that he missed Sunday's game against the Nuggets. Um, I think he's looked pretty like solid the last few games. Um, you know, like he still looks pretty explosive. Even in that game against the Blazers or against the Sixers, he was like, I still thought he was, he missed some shots, but was still getting good looks. The big issue is he just can't drop fouls this year. Um, the last six games, he's shooting 45% from the field, 38% from three, um, about 57% true shooting. Um, those first two marks are right around kind of what you'd expect from Dame. You know, 38% from three, 45% from the field, given how often he takes threes, is right within his wheelhouse. But he's just not drawing fouls still. Um, you know, he's taking about three and a half free throws per game, down from about seven last season. So, um he seems to be one of the kind of the biggest, you know, I guess victims. I don't know if that's the correct word, but the biggest uh, people who's being hurt by these, these rule changes. Cause I, I haven't, you know, I've watched maybe a third of the Blazers game this year, maybe a little more than that. I haven't been able to pin down exactly why he's not, you know, drawing those fouls. He's still getting to the rim a lot, but um, that's the biggest issue is the, the score, the shooting efficiency is back to kind of normal levels the last six or so games, but he still just can't draw fouls and you know, free throws are a really easy way to you know, boost your scoring efficiency. So um, he looks a lot better as of late. The shot making's there, but the foul drawing isn't. So um, until, or if that ever, you know, returns, he's going to be, this is going to be a less efficient scorer, which is still a good player, but maybe not the superstar caliber scorer that we've seen the last few seasons of him. Was he always a big like shot fake or, or jump into the defender guy on a jump shot? I, I, I mean, Trey Young was kind of the poster boy for that, but, I don't recall Lillard ever being like really brought up when those rule changes were being discussed. Was, was that a big part of his game? I, I think it was definitely significant. There's, there's a fair amount of clips out there over the years. And he's talked about that. He feels like, you know, guys are now, now things are skewing too far away from, you know, what's re, what's a reasonable foul, but just like his free throw rate last year was 36%. This year's down to 18%. Um, you know, I don't, I, I'm sure somewhere it charts, you know, fouls, you know, drawn shooting fouls at the rim versus shooting fouls on, on threes or whatever. But, um, you know, I can't recall one specific instance this season where Dame, you know, has tried to hunt a foul and he hasn't gotten it. I'm sure they've happened, but again, you only watch 35, 40% of the games, you're going to miss, you know, a lot of sample. But um, definitely was a guy that I felt like benefited from that. But I thought his ability to get to the rim as well helped him there. So maybe he's still getting the fouls at the rim, but he's just not getting the three point ones. But, um, yeah, I don't think he was a poster boy to the same degree. Maybe someone like Trey Young or James Harden was, and even Harden has started to figure out how to draw fouls again. Um, but clearly, someone who benefited. But I didn't, I didn't expect it to take 
I didn't expect it to really affect him this much because he's so hard to stay in front of that you'd think he'd figure out a way, but at this point he hasn't, he hasn't figured it out. All right. Um, but re- regardless of how he's playing at the moment, the, the thing Sixers fans have wanted to know is, is how realistic is the Dame Lillard trade as the season has gone on and the offseason has gone on. The more comments he's made, it seems like it's more and more likely that uh, he is staying in PDX. Can, can you say that the, the Dame Ben pipe dream should be officially put the bed, Jackson? I can't say that because, I mean, because yes, his tone has changed, but I mean, it was what, six months ago, five months ago, where there was a lot of news revolving around his discontent with the the Blazers, you know, perceived ceiling. And so I think for now, I would say to to put on the back burners, but like who's to say if the Blazers are, you know, 17 and 23 at some point, like why why would his, you know, I think for now, like because they added, they added a they had Larry Nance and you know they they have a new coach. And so there's reason to be like, okay, we're off a slow start. That's okay. The Blazers got the slow start sometimes, but if they continue to be mediocre, which from what I've seen, I don't think that's going to change. I just don't love their roster. Um, and I haven't been super enthused with what I've seen from Billups, even if he's been a little better in recent games. Like, I don't see that's going to change. And so I don't know what's like, you know, it's mid-February, it's going to be cold and rainy in Portland, uh, and they 17 and 23. Maybe Dame decides he would like to be cold and rainy in Philadelphia, but 35 <laughs> and, and, yeah. and nine or something like that, or if they're 32 and eight and 15, or maybe like, obviously you'd have more suitors than just the Blazers or just the Sixers, but yeah. he wants to be really good in a, in a warm weather city too. So, um, yeah, I was going to say cold, cold and rainy wouldn't be like, Oh, let me book my ticket to Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah maybe he can, he can, uh, can brave through if, the, if there's a lot of winning involved, but, um, but I think, you know, he has a really deep connection to Portland. He's really involved in the community here. You know, he's, the most beloved blazer in history, basically. Um, I would say it's him or Bill Walton, and he has a longer history. Walton has a higher peak and has the title as well, which helps. But um, I think it's just up to him. And so right now it, it seems like it's something that should be put on the back burner. But, you know, humans change their opinions. And so if they continue to struggle and be, you know, well outside of title contention by you know February or beyond, um, like I don't think a trade is going to happen by the traded line, but I think if they're, they have another tough year. Um, assuming Dame continues to write the ship and get back, you know, closer to what we've seen in the last couple of seasons. Um, you know, who, like I, I don't think he could change. I think he could change his mind for sure. I mean, the dude scored what 50, he had 55 and 10 against an undermanned Nuggets team six months ago and they lost. That's still gotta be, that still has to matter, right? Like there's supposed to be something that's in the, in the back of his head. Um, and so as much as the West feels fairly open, I mean, the Warriors and Suns are off to great starts. The Clippers look solid. Uh, the Nuggets, you know, should be good more gets back. And the Lakers are, who knows, the Lakers still could be very good. But right now it's, it's a question mark. Um, I still don't think the I don't look the Blazers, the team that is primed to take advantage of the West's uncertainty. They just don't have that, that high end talent. So short answer would be back burner, but don't lose hope because people change their opinions. I don't know what's I don't know what's materially changed so drastically in the last six months that would that would have Dame thinking that Portland's where he wants to be long term again, which maybe he does, but I just I don't think by any means it should be rolled out long term. All right, so good news for Sixers fans: uh, the door could still be ever so slightly ajar for for that possibility. <laughs> um, I, for one, am, am shocked that Cody Zeller hasn't been the cure all for the Blazers roster that. The management there might have hoped. Um, so game tomorrow night, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Sixers already won their previous meeting by 10. Uh, what do you think uh, is going to happen tomorrow night? Do you, has anything materially changed uh, between the two rosters that you think there's going to be a different outcome? 
the big thing that's changed for Portland as of late is they're playing Larry Nance more at the small ball five. Um, they closed out their win against the Raptors that way. I think they closed their win out against the Bulls that way. I didn't catch the end of the, the Bulls game. Um, we were talking earlier about the West Coast. Uh, but I, was, I was tired. I was tired on Wednesday. I couldn't, couldn't hang. I had to go to bed early. Um, so I didn't catch the end of that one. But I think for what I saw, it seemed like they closed again with Nance to the five, and that worked. Um, they'd largely been using use of Nurkic. Their starting center is you know, the, the closing five there. So um, I think that kind of benefits the Sixers of anything. Well, I don't know. I think it could benefit the Sixers. Obviously, they're, they're kind of small. Um, without Joel, you know, we've, we've seen them get a little bigger you know, with, with Bassey becoming a, a guy you can rely on for some minutes. Um, potentially, I guess you could rely on them in the last game, but who, who knows? Rookies can be, you know, prone to wide variance and performances. But that's the biggest development I've, I've seen is that they're playing Nance more small off five. Zeller's kind of out of the rotation, even though I think Zeller's been okay this season. Um, but you can't really play three centers rotation minutes. It just doesn't work um, unless you want to all, you know, platoon them, whatever, give them like hockey minutes for hockey subs. Um so that's the biggest change there. I don't know how that'll affect things. Um, you know, Sixers are small, like I said, but they're going to continue to trap a lot of ball screens, which is what, you know, I think Mackie struggled with, with somewhat. He struggled with that this year. He struggled with it in the Portland game. Um, they ran a lot of pick and rolls with Drummond on the roll and Maxie couldn't find him there. So um, in the short term, it might, you know, neutralize some of Maxie's scoring. Um, but the, much like the Nuggets, you know, beyond Aaron Gordon, the Blazers don't have any sort of like credible point of attack defenders. So, Maxi should be able to get to lane a lot, but when they trap, I think that'll be a good test to see if he's improved at all in the last few weeks against that. Um, but yeah, Nance, the small ball five more often is the biggest change I've seen as I've watched, you know, periodic games, the Blazers of the last few weeks. Yeah. I was surprised that he was playing so few minutes at the beginning of the season. When they, when they made that deal in the off season, I was, I was pretty upset as a Sixers fan that was, you know, hoping that, the Blazers would not have a good season to, to ever so slightly move the needle on a Dame trade. And I really think Nance is a, a excellent player. Um, and I thought that was a good trade for them. And then when he, he was playing like 19, 20 minutes a game and, and didn't really seem to be a big part of their rotation, like I thought at the beginning of the season, I, I, that was seemed really curious to me. So I, I have seen he's had some of his better performances lately. Um, I wasn't aware that he was playing small ball five, which makes a lot of sense. Um, so that'll that'll be something to watch. Maybe the Sixers go to uh, their Niang Tobias front court, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a small ball, curve ball they they've used at at times this year. Um, so yeah, something to watch. Uh, should be should be a good game. Sixers were competitive without Embiid last time, and they've aside from the Utah game and I guess the Pacers game wasn't as close as the score indicated, but even shorthanded, they've been very competitive of late. So. Uh, yeah, should be a good game to watch tomorrow night. Um, Jackson, thank you very much for coming back on the pod. Uh, for all of those out there listening, Jack, who doesn't know Jackson, uh, I'm surprised. I would be shocked because Jackson's everywhere. Um, you can find him on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore JJF. He had a really good uh, for Sixers fans. He had a really good Tyrese Maxi piece for Dime Up Rocks about a week ago. And uh, for just NBA fans, he had a good piece on the Bulls for the analyst um, recently. Um, Jackson, anything else you want to plug? Uh, nothing imminent. So I'll keep doing, you know, Sixers coverage and whatnot. Um, appreciate you having me on. I always enjoy talking to Sixers. Looking forward to tomorrow's game. I think it should be should be a fun one. I, I think, you know, we didn't really talk about it. Max, he, I thought, played pretty impressive defense on Dame in that last game. Um, wasn't the sole reason Dame struggled, but you know, curious. I always like seeing how Maxi fares against these Stark Raiders. It's fun to watch. So, looking forward to tomorrow. Uh, I will be uh, I'll be awake and ready and alert, unlike uh, the, the Bulls six the Bulls uh, Blazers game. But uh, yeah, appreciate having me on, Sean. I always enjoy talking Blazers and, and Sixers and all that. 
Yeah, just wait. Just wait till you're not in your early twenties, and, <laughs> and these these later games really start to drag, man. It's it gets rough. But no, uh, yeah, take up take up caffeine one of these years. We'll yes. All right. Well, good talking with you. Uh, always appreciate having you on. And uh, for everybody else out there, I will talk to you next week. Uh, enjoy the Blazers game tomorrow night, and have a good weekend.